Hello, you're listening to the Leadership Woman podcast with me, Jill Savile. And today I'm very pleased to welcome my friend Daniel Makovic. I hope he'll forgive the Anglo-Saxon way of saying his Hungarian name. He's going to talk about his life's journey through various roles and sectors and the choices that he's made along the way. He began with a love of language and a sense of differentness, which we'll hear about, which led him into communications. Later, he moved into sustainability and more recently, leaving a successful corporate career, moving into entrepreneurship with a new education startup. So welcome to the podcast, Daniel, and thanks for agreeing to share your journey so far. Thank you, Jill. So can we start with where it all began? Well, I was, I was born in Edinburgh. Um, my parents met there. And then when I was about three, my parents moved down to uh, Leicestershire because um, my dad got a, a job. My dad was a political emigre from Hungary, got political asylum in the UK. And my mum was an au pair from Germany. She was, she was in the UK to learn English. It's kind of interesting, given that she went to Scotland. But um, <laughs> So you, be- you began life then as the son of immigrants. Yep. Where I where I grew up, it was mostly white English. There were some kids who came from a typical sort of Commonwealth background, um, Afro-Caribbean, or given that I grew up just outside of Leicester, very strong Indian Indian community. But there weren't any other, you know, Europeans. And so I had a, a, a kind of, you know, visually there was no difference, but um, I felt very different in that both of my parents walked around with accents. Um, we'd always be in continental Europe on holiday. I just felt that there was something different about me that, you know, was a source of source of pride, um, a source of um, differentness as well, which I think as a child you grapple with because you you want to be just like everyone else. We we all want to be part of a community and and belong. It was a question of grappling with that differentness. What did it really mean? What difference did it make? And then, you know, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And I think my formative years were really about understanding what that differentness actually meant. And then how, how could you possibly turn that to your advantage? Were you conscious of wanting to turn it into an advantage? I, I, was, I was conscious that it could form an advantage if I allowed it to but that was I was also conscious that was a really difficult thing because as a child you want to be accepted and and you want to belong but I remember my first words um, and and we were in Germany on holiday my first words that I picked up were actually German words and I remember then coming back to the UK and um, blurting out these German words and all I got were this kind of incredulous what's he babbling (laughs) can't <laughs> kind of look and you know as a child that's quite disconcerting because what you want is recognition 
You were babbling to, to whom? These were just English-speaking neighbours. I was speaking, you know, these first words were a different language, which they didn't yeah, understand, yeah. right? Mm. And so you, you get into this, this area where I was bilingual, and I, I felt that I had something that was quite private, private language that only myself and my mother really spoke. So we had this kind of unique language, this bond between us and, and this, this way of communicating, which no one else had, which was very, very private. You know, I think still today people don't really understand. And, and this is something that I say to my kids as well, that, you know, you've got to remember if you speak two, three, four languages, most people don't have visibility into what your capability is. So in a way, it kind of taught me that actually it doesn't matter what people think, you are you and, and you have this side of you that other people don't see into. And that's all that really matters. And you talk about this secret language with your mother. Did, did Hungarian figure into it with your father? No, that's a story in itself. So they left their countries for very different reasons. My mum left because she wanted to learn English and she wanted a new experience. and She could. My dad left as a political emigre. So, you know, Hungary was occupied by communists after the Second World War. And if you didn't agree with that system, then you were an outsider. And my family were very much outsiders. And in 1956, they tried to um, change the system and they failed. Um, he, he actually took part in the uprising, in the fighting, and he fled. He got political asylum in the UK. And um, so it meant that as a political emigre, he couldn't go back. And, and in fact, he couldn't even have anything to do with the official Hungarian government. And so his view was, I left that country. Why do I need to teach my kids that language? So he didn't. I'll teach my kids to be English. Um, uh, but my, my mother took a very different tack. So hmm. growing up, we didn't, we didn't learn Hungarian, but the family language was English because neither my, my dad spoke my mum's language or my mum spoke my dad's language. So our family language was English, or in my parents' case, broken English. That's interesting. You began life being very conscious of being different. So by now you were growing up outside of Leicester, you said? Uh, and then where did you go? I was there till I, I, I got a place at uni. Which was Wales, I see, on your... Which was Wales, yeah. <laughs> University of Swansea or South Wales, as it is now, uh -huh. I think. Yeah. And I, I read um, German, Russian and philosophy. Just because, actually, I had no idea what I wanted to do, right? I was just interested in so much stuff. I was just curious and fascinated and... And I studied those things just because of that curiosity and fascination. And I had no idea about the world of work. It seemed very far away. So I got the place and I decided, decided to study those things. And that's a really useful insight, I think, to anybody, particularly young listening to this, that you don't have to have your life all planned out, do you? If you just follow something with curiosity and see where it leads... I'd even argue it differently. You know, my view is if you follow your interests, then you're likely to be really passionate about what you do just because yes. you love it. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you are much more calculated and think, well, this is where I'm going to get a good job with a good salary and this is how it's all going to work out, your plans are likely to be scuppered just because there's just so much change. 
And how do you know in five years, 10 years time, the job that you want, that you're targeting is even going to exist? Or that there might be other jobs available that are actually far more interesting or far better, far more rewarding. If you just follow your sense, your passion, your interest, feel rather mm-hmm. than think, that's the way to go. Maybe it's not for everybody, but it was for me. Hmm. So you're talking about no idea what you wanted to do, but you were very curious about the world. There was so much out there to learn and you just followed your passion. So when you left university, where did that take you? Well, my resounding experience growing up in this um, immigrant, non-native English speaking household was that you were forever trying to interpret what people were saying because often the wrong words were used. So there was a lot of interpreting going on and, and you're interpreting words used and not necessarily taking things at face value because they weren't meant at face value. So language and communication were just naturally a focus point for me. And, and that's why I decided to set myself up doing some freelance translating and freelance interpreting. Um, but it was very hard work. Yeah, so if I could pick up on that point then. You went into freelance, which gives me a sense that you weren't afraid to, you didn't instantly go into something with a salary. In fact, it was it was a nightmare because I had no idea what I was doing in terms of starting a business or or billing or hourly rates or anything like that. It was just, you know, make it up as you go along. And, and so I did that for a few years, but then, you know, decided that actually I wanted to go and do something else. Um, actually, what happened was I returned to, to London looking for work. And in the end, I was um, given a break, my first big break a guy from Italy who was setting up this foundation. And, um, you know, I, I wrote into him and he, I don't know why he pulled out my CV because there was nothing particularly interesting on it. Um, but we, we got on and we had a good conversation. And the foundation was a foundation that really promoted integration in, in Europe. And this was something that because of my background, I was always really interested in. Um, and it allowed me to use my language skills um, and, and really was kind of like a public affairs role. I mean, the foundation was looking to engage with journalists and politicians around the kind of European debate, obviously years before Brexit. So you've gone from being translator of other people's words, moving into PR and media where you could use your own words. I did some media work and understood how journalists approached the world, what they were looking for. And then what I moved into was a a role focused on developing the media function of a British research company called Ovum. Mm -hmm. And um, I did that for um, about four years and I I, I grew grew the organisation to something that was really very media savvy. At this point, are you in your 30s? About 32. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to France, actually. And I did that to plug a gap. I had a, a dreadful French teacher at school. Uh, I mean, just painfully bad. And I always felt that it was a gap. And it was a gap that I meant to fill at some point in my life. And, and when I had the opportunity to do so, I jumped at it. It wasn't easy. It was a very culturally very, very different 
I didn't stay there that long. I was, I was there for about two years, something like that. Um, that's when I went to Deloitte. Did you have any mentors at this time? Who influenced you? Maybe that's a better question. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that's, a, that's an interesting differentiation, isn't it? The, the big influences were open, were also curious. They didn't pretend to have all the answers. And then you moved to Deloitte, Deloitte in the UK at first, was that right? No, I, I started, um, I, was, I was actually given the choice when I moved to Deloitte. Um, either London or um, Brussels and I actually chose Brussels again you know curiosity got the best better of me <laughs> I knew London I didn't know Brussels um, so I chose Brussels I thought it was an opportunity you know. to, to go to Brussels <laughs> I'm smiling because yeah. that, that's so the way I made quite a few decisions in my life oh really <laughs> well I've never been there <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah. why not you've got to ask yeah. yourself You've got to ask yeah. yourself, why not? I'm not one of these people who's set themselves a goal. I want to have be in this role with this title by this age. To me, that doesn't really work because the world's just not static. And if you want to grow, how can you make targets about a world you don't know? Right? Ooh. Targets are like limitations. Hmm. You were with Deloitte. You started in Brussels. I met you when you were in Luxembourg. I was in Brussels with Deloitte for um, a couple of years before um, there were changes in the organisation. I was asked to move, relocate back to London, which I then did. And I started a family in London. I, was, I was, felt that I was about ready. We were in London for um, quite a few years. Uh, and then I, I really got itchy feet again. I decided five years ago to actually move my job over to Luxembourg. And it's interesting that you've moved to a place that's got three official languages. And of course, then there's English, which is across many of the big companies in Luxembourg. So again, there's the link with languages. We have a lot of a discussion about, about languages because my kids, they have this same kind of shyness about them when it comes to languages that I recognised in myself when I was a kid. English is our family language, and there is a shyness about using German. There is a shyness about using French. But I'm constantly encouraging them to learn more and do more in different languages and overcome that shyness, because what differentiated me was very much the fact that I had these foreign parents and understanding of a world beyond. And I think what really sets them apart or makes them different is the fact that they're English-speaking kids growing up in Luxembourg with exposure to more languages and more cultures than most English kids would in England. Mm. And of course, my wife's Hungarian, and then they have Letzebergish in the school, so it does get quite, quite complicated. But maybe not. I, I would want to withdraw that. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think it is complicated. It's a com that's a comparative term. I don't think a Luxembourger would call it complicated. It just is what it is. The four languages exist, right? And, and apparently it's really good for the brain. The brain grows the more languages you speak. And I was just thinking, your wife's Hungarian, but from what I gather, you didn't grow up speaking Hungarian. No, I have, uh -huh. I have learned. I've taken classes and I've, I've done 
kind of self-study and stuff like that. But Hungarian, Hungarian's just a, I can get by in it, which is probably a little bit generous because I struggle in it. Your role in Deloitte then, still around words, communication, then moved into digital. Is that right? Yeah, so I, I took on a responsibility for various programs. Uh, and one of those was this thing that was called sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was this new construct around the changing climate, biodiversity loss, scarce resources like water and, and forests. But it was also social inequality, diversities, um, gender backgrounds, those types of things. I noticed on your LinkedIn profile, it says sustainable, regenerative leader. And I understand now that you're moving into a startup. Is that right? Yeah, I feel very strongly that the way that we've been doing things hasn't really been the right way. Mm-hmm. And we've gone down this path. Many have benefited from it, including me, but not everyone can benefit from it. And certainly the planet isn't benefiting from it. And this causes me to question, is it the right path? Um, What are the alternative paths? And what do we need to do about it? I think those are good questions. A lot of business people are increasingly asking those same questions. I think ultimately at the moment, the path we're traveling on isn't sustainable and we need to adapt. And the startup is... um, The United Nations has a a framework called their SDGs, their Sustainability Development Goals, and they develop 16 of these, uh, which are around poverty, around climate change, around ocean um, preservation, um, forestry preservation, inequality, um, gender balance, all those types of things. Um, And I think it's a really good lens through which individuals and companies can can start to view the world and their impact on the world. And this startup is born out of the fact that um, I've got three kids, um, two teenagers, one's a little bit younger. Uh, like any parent, I try to do the best for my kids. But one, one area, one aspect of life skills I really struggle with, and I know they struggle with, because it's not supported um, by school, is this whole issue of um, how do you learn about the world of money? It's, it's often not talked about in many cultures, but you're meant to learn it from somewhere. Um, many teenagers learn about the world of money actually from their parents who set either good or bad examples. And the idea really is to develop an offering that doesn't leave it to chance. So they're not surprised by financial decisions as they become adults and they don't piece it together ad hoc as they go along. So we're, we're very much um, early stage. I have a, a number of collaborators in this, but it, it's very exciting because we don't have a fixed solution in mind. You need to start somewhere. So we are looking at developing a digital platform for this, but um, I don't think it will stay just digital because we're talking about individuals. Um, but we may well go down the route of formal learning, like a curriculum, a course, a certification. I, I'd see it as a Um, a life skill that isn't tackled directly at school or through extracurricular um, activity. And yet it's just crucially important as 
particularly as the financial world digitizes. You know, when you talk about cryptocurrencies, for example, and DigiCash, many parents don't understand those those concepts either. So uh, we're working on building a, a learning environment for teenagers that really helps them to to understand and address some of those some of those issues. I know that my son in his early thirties is talking to me about Dogecoin and Bitcoin, and I'm thinking, oh, really, do I do I have to learn that? Well, I don't know. I'll wait and see as far as that's concerned. So. You've talked about your journey. You've talked about how you just followed this curiosity gene, how you learned along the way. I know you because I know that you are somebody who continually learns. How important has your leadership development been? I think I would struggle with myself if I was in a role where I wasn't learning or growing. I don't, I don't think I could do that. Hmm. You know, I've looked at that. I mean, am I on the run? Is it escapism? And no, I don't think it is. Everything's changing so quickly as well. I mean, we live in an age of of just amazing change. I mean, my kids' lives and 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 their experience of the world is already just massively different from what I experienced growing up. I'm a big believer in shaping our world and shaping our future. Um, I think that. You know, as long as I've got a breath in my body, it's beholden on me to make a difference. <laughs> yeah, you want to make a difference. So you couldn't be in a role where there was no growth opportunity. What about if there are no growth opportunities? What do you do outside? I know you're an avid reader. I'm often full of self-doubt in the sense that I don't believe I've got all the answers. And I sometimes don't even come across as particularly confident um, because I, I, I know there's gaps and there's no, I know there's so much I don't, don't understand or don't have insight into. And therefore it becomes really important to surround yourself with people who have different experiences and different insights and have different backgrounds, have different perspectives. When I was introduced to your group, Jill, um, the, the wonders of that group are that there's a, a candor and honesty um, of exchange and discussion in that group, which I just find hugely invigorating. And there's a diversity in that group also. I mean, we're multiple nationalities, multiple organizations represented, multiple industries, and yet we can come together and we can talk about challenges that we all face as leaders in a very honest way. And there's this kind of exponential effect where the different perspectives, different backgrounds, the different insights build a much clearer picture. Yeah, you can, you can self-study. I mean, you, you know, we all read loads of books, but you sit there and you stew on a particular book, but you don't necessarily have other people's take on that book. If you're part of a group, you can exchange in a safe place. You can gain from other people's perspectives that are quite different from your own, that's, that's something that I personally find very beneficial. And actually, the pandemic has brought us things that I didn't expect. It used to be a group that we met face-to-face in Luxembourg every week. And in fact, we met in Deloitte latterly. 
Um, then all of a sudden the pandemic hits and now the group, it doesn't matter where people are in the world, <laughs> we can still meet every week. So um, it's had some positives here. So what are the takeaways that you want people to hear? Lessons from your life? Yeah, I think for me, it's important not to be too scripted, to, to realise that, that where, you, where you end up is, is, is not really where you thought you might end up when you started out. And it's just important to be flexible, be agile, be prepared to change, sometimes change your point of view entirely. Um, just start. Don't think too much about it being about it being perfect. Just start, and and develop your your understanding of where you're going as you're moving. Mm -hmm. So those first two are you, you. You don't need to know where you're going necessarily. Planning is a little bit overrated. The world might have changed by the time you've got there. The second thing is just start too many people I think stay in the planning stage and never actually start you're more a start and experiment um, what's the third thing I think spend time with yourself and what I mean by that is we're all different I think you've got to understand your difference and, and really focus on what's most important for you and understand that in real detail. You know me, Jill, I, I took myself off and did the Camino for three weeks during the pandemic. I, I wish I'd actually spent more time with myself on, on that level of that kind much earlier on in my life, actually. And that was lovely because the group felt as if we'd walked it with you, without the pain, of course. Spend time with yourself. I, I love this word. In fact, I wasn't too sure whether it was a word at first because uh, it's not. I, I use the word different, and you were using the word differentness, which actually I like, and I checked, and it <laughs> and it's it a word. Yeah, yeah, it's a word. And yeah. you said spend time with yourself to understand your differentness. So uh, that's number three. Then what else? I'm a big fan of diversity just because I, I'm, I'm convinced that diverse perspectives, experiences, backgrounds build for a better, more rounded picture. I, I think your, your, your ecosystem, your network, the people surrounding you, make sure they're different. Make sure they, they add something that you don't already add. Don't, don't surround yourself with people who do and think like you do. Mm. Uh, so, Daniel, thank you so much for giving your time today and welcome, Joe. Particularly being spontaneous. And I'll see you again soon. Thank you.